What up, fam? I am Dr. DeLuna, your favorite spicy doctor, educator, and yogi. Today, I am so excited to share this conversation with you. I have on Dr. Petty, an incredible naturopathic doctor, nutritionist. He has a history in fitness, and he has so many truth bombs to share with you about environmental medicine, your hormones, and ultimately manifesting your best life. So you are not going to want to miss this episode. Hello, Petty. Hello, Ashley. Welcome. I am so, so, so happy to have you on today. Thank you for having me. For those of you that are listening and not watching, I can understand that you're probably shocked at the voice that you are hearing because, yes, in fact, there is a penile creature on this podcast. For those of you that don't know what a penile creature is, it is any creature that has a penis. I do not have one. So as a non-penile, it's really hard for me sometimes to understand the inner workings of the penile mind. So I am excited to have you on for that insight. And (laughs) before we dive into everything, for every guest that I have on, I always like to start by telling you why you were on and why I invited you on. So for you, Hetty, the reason why you are here is because... First of all, I'm excited to get to know you and excited to learn a bit about your story because I don't know you that well. But the bits that I do know about you are for me observing you in medical school, especially on a certain shift with a certain someone, a certain penile who was quite mean to this this sweetie petite. And despite you showing up, being prepared, being so excited to show up for your patients and being ripped down by this jealous penile man. You always had this precious smile on. You never gave up. You never let it get to you. And that just spoke so much to your soul, to your humor and your love that you have for showing up for patients, which is quite obvious for anyone that follows you on social media that you love educating. So thank you for what you do. Thank you. Pleasure being here. And I'm really passionate about talking about our medicine and sharing it with the world. So I'm excited to continue that journey here. Yes. Here we go. So I really, really, really don't know anything about you. And if I don't, my listeners don't. So can you please just let me know a little bit about you? Where are you from? How'd you get into medicine? Sure. So I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. I um, was trying to be a dentist. So that's why I was doing pre-med, applied for dental school a couple couple of years. It didn't really work out. But during my journey um, in pre-med, I was already had a personal training business and I was already a nutritionist and I had my master's in kinesiology. So I was using a lot of, you know, lifestyle and nutrition as medicine. I worked in the exercise physiology lab for two years studying obesity. And um, so I was naturally preparing for this journey that was coming up. And um, what happened is my brother moved to Los Angeles from Toronto uh, to study dentistry. And then I visited him, fell in love with the California lifestyle and um, decided to figure out a way to move to California. And so um, at that time, I had a thriving business. I was doing a lot of online health coaching. And um, what happened was that I tried to figure out a way to move to California. Of course, I was a Canadian citizen, so I didn't have immigration. And so I started looking for jobs and schools. And then that's what led me to Bastyr. And um, I was always fascinated about functional medicine. So I'm like, oh, functional medicine, naturopathic medicine, very similar things. I'm just going to apply. And I applied. Next thing I knew, I was doing the interview. And at the interview, they looked at me and they said, oh, you're, you're in. I was like, okay. So that, that was pretty effortless. Oh. Um, I think given my experiences <laughs> and my background as a nutritionist, they thought I was a good fit for it. So I applied and um, I got in and the rest is history. Wow, you lucky ducky. They just looked at you and they said you were in. I had to wait. 
I didn't know. I didn't know I was in, but that's okay. I'm so happy for you, says Bitter Ashley. I'm just kidding. That's amazing. (laughs) So that's phenomenal, though. How did you learn about naturopathic medicine? Or were you just kind of guided to it? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I was really blessed that when I was around 21, I um, found a mentor who was well in his 40s, and he had 20 years of functional medicine under his belt and he took me under his wing and really mentored me and at the time I was doing professional fitness competitions so uh, he took me under his wing really taught me about the importance of you know gut health inflammation all those buzzwords that we talk about in our medicine and so I was naturally you know aware of functional medicine and so when I found Bastier and I started understanding what naturopathic medicine was I was like okay this is kind of like functional medicine so it was it was very organic the journey Mm, it's very organic (laughs) <laughs> that is rare, I think, because usually people have to open different doors to medicine, see that it's not for them. But it's really fun when you see that your life guided you in a certain direction. And then yeah. it almost sounds like it found you. California found you. Bastier was already here. Right, right. Well, it's interesting because I thought dentistry was for me. Mm-hmm. Right? And I applied for dental school a couple years and I got rejected. But during the time, I was really crushed because I felt rejected. But in retrospect, I wasn't being rejected. I was simply being redirected mm. to what was a better fit for me. Mm-hmm. And my brother is an oral surgeon now, so all he does is work with his hands. I see what he does, and I'm like, that's not me. I'm not such a fine-tuned machine like he is. I'm more about connecting with people, <laughs> motivating people, inspiring people to make change. And that's where I feel like I'm. my gift is. And so I feel like it was a blessing that I was redirected to this path, which was my calling. Mm, I love that. <laughs> yes, I think that whenever a door like that closes, we can take it in one of two ways. We can get jaded by it and think that we're failures, or we can take it as a redirection like you did. So Absolutely. beautiful. Absolutely. The whole naturopathic community is honored to have you, Dr. Petty. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thank you. So you mentioned that you were in fitness competitions. What was that like? I'm clearly not a fitness competitor. Um, It was great. It taught me a lot, right? I um, competed for five, six years. I won my pro card, competed against some of the best um, physiques in the world, got second in the world in 2012 as a pro. What? (laughs) Sorry, that's incredible. My brother got sixth in the same competition, so we were going through it together. And um, it taught me a lot, right? Because preparing for those competitions is literally 24 hours a day. It's how you sleep, how you eat, how you feel, because stress affects how you look. Mm-hmm. Right? So it, it really taught me a level of dedication that I've carried on for the rest of my life. And so I'm very grateful for that, that you know, it really taught me you know, commitment, dedication, 24 hours around the clock. And so um, during the time competing, it was... It was intense. A lot of sacrifices. You know, the competitions were every August. Mm-hmm. So all of all of summer, I would have to be on a pretty much a keto diet, 12 weeks, no carbs. I would have just to lean out. So I would sacrifice every summer to prepare for that show. And um, so there was a lot of sacrifices involved. And, you know, we get in front of hundreds of people in little shorts and you know, <laughs> display your strut, move and, and pose and whatnot. So um, it was it was. It was really eye-opening because one powerful thing that it taught me is that, you know, you just can't care what others think of you. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that people, you know, I post a lot of videos on social media nowadays. I have so many of my friends and colleagues that come and tell me, you don't care what people think about you in these videos. Like, how do you get in front of the camera and talk so, you know, easily and not care what people think? And, And I think a lot of that comes from the days of doing the competitions because I would literally get in front of hundreds of people in little short shorts, show my body and didn't really care what they thought because... 
It was just a matter of me being the best version of me. And so that also carried over to the videos that I've been doing. So it's just this careless attitude. It's not that I don't care, but it's just that, you know, I'm comfortable enough and I understand that I'm bringing value to the to the world, which I hope I'm doing. And so as long as someone sees value in it, that's what makes me happy. Yes. People see value in it. And it's not that you don't care. I think it's just that you're showing up authentically and that yeah, you feel in alignment with that. That's a good yeah. way to put it. It's me. Take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that probably, whether you're aware of it or not at the time, helped you become successful as a naturopathic doctor because... As we both know, we graduated at the same time. There's not, not everyone in our class is doing what we're doing. Not everyone is confident enough to show up for their patients and to utilize everything that they've learned along their journey to help someone else. And it is this ability of being seen, but also as naturopaths, we're kind of the black sheep because we believe that you can heal yourself. We believe that food impacts things, that mood and stress and all of these have impacts versus just take this pill and you'll be fine. So to have confidence in this medicine is part of being a good healer. Absolutely. Well put. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well put. Mm. So with that being said, let's shift a little bit and talk a little bit about what do you focus on in your practice? What do you see a lot of? Sure. So um, right from med school, I went and I got selected for my top residency, my number one choice, which is probably the top choice in all of the United States, um, in an integrative cardiology uh, private practice, working with cardiologists and medical doctors. So for the first two, three years, I did a lot of integrative cardiology. I worked hand in hand with cardiologists. You know, we had a lot of patients with blood pressure, cholesterol, you know, history of cardiovascular disease, all of those factors that I did a lot of that. So the nutrition and lifestyle are very, very powerful when it comes to addressing cardiovascular disease, and as I'm sure you're aware of. And um, in addition to that, I did a lot of gut health and uh, male hormones mm-hmm. and also um, joint injections, a lot of uh, regenerative medicine, joint injections, PRP. Um, but as far as the consult and is concerned, did a lot of male hormones, integrative cardiology, gut health, because, you know, that's, that's a lot of the things that walk through our doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's fun that because in my mind, whenever I think about someone who works in cardiology or even when you order a blood panel with cardiology, it usually has lipids and then it has inflammation. Mm-hmm. And in conventional medicine, yes, lipids, if they become oxidized from inflammation, they can lead to things like heart disease. But for me, from my own perspective, I don't see cholesterol as being the issue. I see it as being the signal that the body is almost using cholesterol to calm inflammation as if, you know, you scraped your arm and you wanted to put a nice gooey salve on it. Cholesterol is doing the same thing. And to kind of start to bring that into hormones, cholesterol is the building block Absolutely. of so many hormones. So in your practice, did you see a lot of individuals that you were working on both cardiovascular, getting their metabolic health in check, and then also impacting hormones? Absolutely. And so, you know, a lot of people, when they think about male hormones, the first thing that comes to mind is muscle mass and, and sexual health and erections, mm-hmm. right? However, hormones have such an intricate involvement in cardiovascular health. The research shows that those that have optimal testosterone levels have lower levels of triglycerides, better HDL, better blood pressure, um, less chance of getting, you know, cardiometabolic disease. Mm -hmm. So the research is velvet. So it's like a vicious cycle, right? If the hormones are low, the cardiovascular system can suffer. Mm -hmm. So um, it's very intricately related. So, um, you know, a lot of my elder patients that came to me, you know, that are overweight, can't get their BMI down. I worked on optimizing their hormones because once you optimize the hormones, the body composition will shift. And as the body composition shifts, a lot of those cardiometabolic markers that we look at will improve. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be really fun for us to have this conversation because in my practice, I, I work with men, but it's usually I work with husbands of wives whose 
who's the female is kind of the the person pushing them to get better. Or, and I say this as a joke to them, your husband's probably not going to come see me until his penis stops working. Because if not, they don't see the value at doing this preventative blood work, at looking to see what the inflammation is like, metabolic health is like. But it does play into everything. Oh, it really does. Yeah. And, um, you know, I agree with you. As soon as you bring up erections, the males get (laughs) interested all of a sudden. So I think "Hmm." that's a good way to bring them in. And now we see there's a lot of things that affect erections, right? Mm -hmm. Because it all comes down to the health of the endothelium, which is the lining of the blood vessels. And if they can't properly dilate, blood flow will be impaired and that can affect erections. And there's a lot of factors that affect the health of the endothelium that we know. The factors like oxygen, nutrients, you know, oxidative stress, all of those factors can affect endothelial function and thus affect um, erections. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that something that I was so blown away from when we were in medical school learning is, is that that endothelium makes its own hormones. So it is hormonally responsive. It is, it is activated based on what is in the blood. So it is a direct reflection of what your blood chemistry is asking for. And I'm not sure if listeners are aware, but your hormones are circulating. They're in your bloodstream. So they're kissing every single cell of your body, including the endothelium to tell them what to do. Yeah. And I want to add that endothelial function is more important. It's not just important for just erections, right? (laughs) The other factor that it's extremely important for, as we know, is blood pressure. Yeah. So if there's a problem with the endothelium function, the blood pressure could be affected as well. Mm -hmm. So that's why um, what we do in the clinics is we do something called the endopat, which allows us to measure, you know, the endothelium function health and so which is very very important when it comes to cardiovascular health mm-hmm. and of course male physical sexual performance yes yes and we all like that we all like that don't we so what are some things that you have seen are helpful to strengthen endothelial function and health and integrity sure so um the biggest one that i've noticed given the patient population that i work at is sleep apnea uh, right mm-hmm. so uh, making sure that people are getting adequate oxygen at night and you know for Younger people, less common, right? But still can have it. Just because you're young and you're not overweight doesn't mean you won't have sleep apnea. So some people, because of their anatomical structure of their jaw, their mouth, they could have compromised oxygen intake at night. So just because you're young and you're thin doesn't mean you'll never have sleep apnea. It's possible. But a lot of the older patients that I work with... um, you know, I ask them, do you snore at night? Does your partner tell you you snore at night? If they do, uh, likely have sleep apnea. So um, I will test them for sleep apnea, mm-hmm. put a kit on their hand, and then test them for sleep apnea to see what their oxygen intake looks like. So that's really, really important, I feel like. And then, um, like we said, just checking some of the nutrient levels that are really important, antioxidants for endothelial function. So screening for sleep apnea, all of that's really important. And then, you know, the lifestyle factors that we talk about as naturopathic doctors, you know, the the sleep, the stress, um, the soil that we look at. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we look at people like a plant. What does the soil look like? Are they getting toxins in the soil? Are they getting enough nutrients in the soil? Are they getting enough rest? So all those factors really go into optimizing male hormones. So it's, at the end of the day, it's a holistic approach. I'm sure you know that. Yes. And I love everything that you said. We're going to truly go through each one because you just set us both up for success here. So as far as the anatomical piece, it's fun because, you know, you wanted to get into dentistry and oral health and whatnot. And I had braces like 17 fucking times because my teeth were so messed up. I didn't have a tongue tie, but my teeth were so messed up. And I remember the dentist would always say, there's not enough room in her mouth for her Mm -hmm. teeth. Of course, I was born with a normal size head. But if you have any anatomical shift in that your jaw does not develop properly for me I would my grandma would truly have to bribe me to eat I don't know why I didn't like food I only liked white bread 
American cheese, and like fish sticks. Disgusting. That's all I ate. And I always tell my patients, those of you that are freaking out that your kids are malnourished, I became a doctor on that diet. So your kid's going to be fine. However, with that being said, I didn't have any fat soluble vitamins. I wasn't chewing vegetables that would, that those muscles of mastication didn't set me up to have a wide palate in which then my teeth had space. So I'd get all these teeth pulled, had to get braces. So anyone who has a similar orthodontic history, you can assume that your upper palate, which the upper palate is the lining of your sinuses. It's the lining of your nasal cavity. So for me, I didn't even know that I was a mouth breather until it came to my awareness of how that was impacting things. But that alone, I mean, I'm tiny. But yes, I could have sleep apnea. So I just wanted to touch on that. Um, and then something else that you brought up, of course, is what is flowing around in the blood, which is what is in our soil, which is toxicity. So how do you see that show up in your practice? Well, I think that is an important element of our medicine that we need to address, environmental medicine, because now more than ever, we're bombarded with toxins, mm-hmm. right? The air we breathe to the lotions and potions that we put on our cream, on our skin, food that we eat, and then the water that we drink. We're just surrounded by toxins. And so, you know, we, we touch on this topic not to scare people, but just to increase their awareness that, hey, listen, the day-to-day decisions that you make affect your overall health and the amount of toxins that you're taking in. And so um, I see that manifesting in many different ways in my practice, right? Toxins can affect neurological function, brain function, hormones, so much more. Um, So I see it, you know, panning out in many ways. And so I always spend time educating my patients on some of the main sources of toxins that they want to um, make sure that they're avoiding, not just for hormonal health, but just for overall health, Mm -hmm. you know, starting at the basics from food, making sure that, you know, you're making sure that some of the foods that you're eating, the high, high, as the environmental working group calls them, the dirty dozen, you know, Mm -hmm. the top 12 fruits and vegetables that are heavily contaminated with pesticides and chemicals. um, Those are the ones that they want to make sure are organic to minimize their toxin exposure making sure that you know they're investing in a good quality water filter that sufficiently filters the contaminants in water um, i like to refer all of my patients to the ewg um, water database which is a great resource i'm sure you've used that you know people go in and put their postal code in there and then it'll tell them what contaminants are found in the water and what water filtration system is appropriate for that mm-hmm. water so you know just starting with the water food and then from there you know educating them hey listen what you're putting on your skin is actually getting absorbed into your bloodstream as well so we need to be mindful of the things that you're putting on your skin are you you know bathing yourself in lotions and potions all day you know to make yourself seem attractive to the you know, opposite sex <laughs> meanwhile you're actually you know lowering your testosterone and potentially causing the opposite effect of what you're going for so um you know, those are things that we need to be pay attention to. And then the other one is is radiation exposure, mm-hmm. right? We're just bombarded with devices nowadays. You know, laptop, computer, many people are sleeping with their phones right next to them. Or the, my, my guy friends, I see them all the time with their cell phones in their in their front pockets near their reproductive areas. You nice know. jewels. Right, right. And so, you know, those are things that a lot of people don't pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Right? So when I mention this to my patients, it's not about, hey, I'm trying to scare you, but I'm just trying to... You know, make you aware that we're just bombarded by this stuff mm-hmm. and we just need to do what we can to just minimize our exposure because we can't go without it, but we can surely make decisions that minimize our exposure. Absolutely. And I love that you use that phrase that you try to empower them because there is it. I remember even when I started to peel back the layers to what was actually going on in this world and it 
can be very overwhelming and you can feel powerless, but really it is the choices that you make, the food that you eat, the water that you drink, the air that you breathe, um, what you choose to put on your body. And I tell this to my patients, if you read the ingredients on something that you're wanting to put on your body, if you wouldn't eat one of those ingredients, do not put it on your body because you soak it up. Same with anyone that has a menstrual cycle. Your vagina soaks up everything. So if you're going to be using tampons and menstrual products that are loaded with bleach and all these other ugh, gross chemicals. And just as a female, it's mind blowing what is put into every feminine product, every beauty product. It's almost like they're trying to kill us. Almost like that, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's fascinating. <laughs> I always mention that to my female clients. I'm like, look, a quarter of the month, you have this toxic sponge inside you. Like, you, are you aware of that? Do you yeah. know what's in those? And then encouraging them to make, you know, better, more natural, safer alternatives. And there's a lot, you know, there's organic tampons now, there's, mm-hmm. there's cups now, there's a lot of other options. Mm-hmm. It's just important of just understanding, hey, what is this actually doing to my health? Mm-hmm. And it's this cost and, you know, balance type of situation in which I think that some people will see the cost of something slightly more expensive that's organic or slightly more expensive that is pure and doesn't contain truly poison. But for me... There is no way for that to not be a value because the deep implications that it has right. on health and each one of these toxins, they're causing systemic inflammation. It's not just in the place that it's exactly. put into the body. It goes everywhere. Exactly. And that systemic inflammation is impacting every single cell in your body. And totally. and I love when people tell me that, you know, they go to Italy or they go to France and they just drink wine all day. They might even start smoking cigarettes and they don't do that here. And they're eating bread and pasta and cheese and they come back with abs. Yeah. (laughs) And the reason is because most of these environmental chemicals, not most, but a lot of them are not legal outside of the United States. What? That is fucking insane. That is actually insane. It's so sad. And because of that, it's leading to these deep implications in health that is easy to see when you leave this country. And that is directly a reflection of inflammation and hormones because... I don't think I was aware either until we got into the biochemical bubble that a lot of these receptors for hormones are on the surface of cells and they're also inside of the nucleus. And if there are toxins there, those hormones can't bind. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. One thing that you said is that I was reading an article coming here um, that was mentioning that BPA, you know, Mm -hmm. BPA, a lot of people know what that word is. It's found in plastics, right? And then there's this trend that's a BPA-free, which is controversial because mm-hmm. there's other forms of bisphenol mm-hmm. that aren't being removed. Marketing. Anyways, yeah, it's totally a marketing thing. Anyways, what happens with BPA exposure is that it negative, negatively feeds back to the pituitary, mm-hmm. right? And so pituitary won't produce GnRH, which is gonadotropin-releasing hormone. And if that's not produced in males, luteinizing hormone and um, FSH, follicular-stimulating hormone, aren't produced. And so if luteinizing um, hormone is not produced, testosterone production suffers and so bpa has this negative feedback on the hypothalamus on the pituitary excuse me that negatively affects hormones so that's just one example that hey there is receptors you know and multiple places that can affect our physiology from environmental toxins Mm-hmm. and i love that you brought that up just because it was nerdy and i love being nerdy but also there is this communication between hormones that I want my listeners to be aware of that your brain is telling your organs what to do and your brain is always listening to what's in your blood. So if your brain is perceiving that there's a hormone in your blood because BPA and other different types of endocrine disrupting chemicals, they truly look like hormones yeah. that your brain is going to say, oh, we got plenty of that. We need exactly. to shut this down. We don't exactly. need to make it. And if you don't have good LH, you're not going to have healthy sperm either. And I see that a lot in my patient population that are working on fertility is that I work deeply with 
with the female. They are very invested in a clean lifestyle. They eat quite well. They're working out. They're working on stress. And then their sweet partner is playing Call of Duty and vaping all day. And they're wondering why they can't get pregnant. And then we do a sperm assessment. And then we see that the swimmers are not swimming. They're not mm-hmm. swimming. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Do you do any sperm assessment in your practice? I don't. I don't. I refer that out. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Refer them to me. I'll look at the sperm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. But I want to comment on what you said. It's really interesting because, um, so in the male testicles, there's something called Leydig cells, mm-hmm. right? The Leydig cells are what produce testosterone. At the peak age, you know, man's testosterone peaks in the late 20s. At that point, we have 700 million Leydig cells in the testicles. And then from there, 6 million cells are lost per year oh. and nutrition and lifestyle factors <laughs> influence that number so it could be more than six million or less than six million and so when you think about it we have this pool of 700 million latex cells only yeah. that we're just depleting with our choices that we make day to day with alcohol with vaping with marijuana with stress lack of nutrients toxin exposures all of those factors or sleep you know overtraining, all of those things add up and they can affect the rate at which this latex cell loss occurs so you know when you see that you're like oh wow i got a limited pool of these latex cells which are constantly going to be depleted based on the decisions i make day to day that kind of gives you a little bit of perspective that hey might as well take care of the boys down south because you know we're, we're limited in what we have mm-hmm. wow cellular death Right. That 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 statistic really puts it in perspective, but it's right. also like you said, you could look at it as something fear based or something empowering, and that exactly. your choices, you are in control. You are in exactly. control, and that's what I love about our medicine, right? Um, it, it the decisions that you make day to day influence the trajectory of where you go. It can take you towards a state of health, or it can take you toward a state of disease. And to some, it might be intimidating because you know, unfortunately, based on the world that we live in, where we got this thinking of um, you know. A, pill is going to fix our ill you know Mm -hmm. pill to the ill or the sick to the supplement right whereas that's not the solution Mm -mm. the solution is understanding that the decisions that we're making moment to moment is influencing the trajectory of our health right and so it could be intimidating for some but once you actually acknowledge what's happening it could be very empowering yeah And I think in general, as human beings, we don't like to acknowledge how we contribute to our own suffering. We like to blame it on others or we like just an easy fix. It takes effort. Yeah. It takes effort. Yeah. Right. You Mm got to address it head on and, you know, take responsibility, own up to your actions. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in this society that we live in. Mm -hmm. I mean... I think I forget that we are in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Our naturopathic community is a bubble. Living totally. in Southern California and having people who actually care about their mm-hmm. diet and their lifestyle, it's its not the norm. When I go home to New York, it is not the norm. And I'm yeah. definitely the black sheep. I am definitely looked at like I'm weird. My Italian relatives ask me if I'm sick because of what my body looks like. And I'm not. I just don't eat what I used to eat. And it takes courage to show up in that way and to empower yourself that your choices are making sense. And yeah. And I will say that one of my biggest pet peeves to touch on the the pill for your ill is when I have a male client who we haven't even dove into anything. Mm-hmm. We've done no discussion on anything going on with him. And they go, will you prescribe me testosterone? I'm like, what? No, I will not prescribe you testosterone. We didn't even test your testosterone, first of all. Why do you think you have low testosterone? And then they might say something like, oh, well, my libido's a little lower. My erections aren't as strong. But really, there are so many reasons why that's happening. So even if you give someone testosterone, while that might be 
indicated clinically for someone, what that does, it's still doing that negative feedback mm -hmm. to the brain. So there is always this cost benefit ratio that everyone has to be aware of, whether they're choosing to do things naturally or choosing to get a little hormonal boost. But what do you typically, what is your run through when you get a patient that you're suspecting low testosterone? How do you typically approach that situation? Right. That's a great question. Um, sometimes I will jump to hormones right away. It just depends, right? If a patient is 75 years old, they can't lose weight. They don't have any energy. Their testosterone, you know, is like 200, very low free testosterone. And they're just not motivated. I might start them off and they're not conceiving. They don't have any plan of conception. So mm -hmm. that's an absolute mm -hmm. contraindication for yeah, me. I mean, it's a 75 year old man is what you're describing. Exactly. It's not a 30 year old man. Exactly. So if... <laughs> The first question I ask all my patients is, are you planning on having children? Mm -hmm. If you are having planning on having children, I don't talk about testosterone because it's an absolute contraindication. Thank you, doctor. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for a 75 year old guy, he doesn't want to have kids anymore. Or maybe he does. Right. <laughs> he just wants to have the motivation to get up, exercise, continue having sharp cognition because, mm -hmm. you know, testosterone affects cognition. Mm -hmm. Right. So I deal with a lot of executives high-end businessmen that tell me they get up in front of board meetings and they just don't have the mental capacity that they used to, mm -hmm. right? So for those people, sure, I might start them up with some testosterone mm -hmm. while working on the determinants of health because the testosterone might give them a little bit more motivation. Mm -hmm. Okay, now I'm going to get up and go to the gym. Now I'm going to take care of my, you know, diet. So that might be the, the jump that they need to just get the wheels turning, mm -hmm. right? But for someone in their 30s and 40s, absolutely not because there's a lot of other factors that go into it. So I'll look at the... You know, like you said, peel the layers of the onion back. Are they sleeping well? You know, are they eating well? How much alcohol? How much marijuana? You know, because those factors all really, how much stress, mm -hmm. right? Because we know, as you said, building blocks, cholesterol is the building block for hormone. And we know that the, the hormones that the adrenal glands produce are also building blocks for hormones. And if our, we're constantly stressed, our adrenal glands is going to be shunting those precursors to produce cortisol, the stress hormone. It's called the cortisol steel. Right. And then that leaves less resources for the adrenals to produce um, testosterone and the signaling to the uh, gonads also gets affected. So, um, you know, those are all factors that we need to address. And I typically dive deep into with my patients that want to have kids one day. So we address all of those determinants before we'd have the discussion about hormones as well. Mm -hmm. I'm happy that you brought up the stress piece, too, because when you're speaking to that secret executive human, um, I, in that moment, when you were saying that they get nervous and talking in front of people as devil's advocate, I was like, is their cortisol super high? And it's just, you know, impacting their body and whatnot. And mm -hmm. I, I see that a lot in my population that elevated cortisol can lead to shutdown of all of the other hormones based on Absolutely. what you're speaking to the pregnenolone steel. But I also work a lot with individuals that are just straight up under eating. So their cholesterol is low to start. And they're like, yeah, I'm a doctor. Check my cholesterol. It's great. It's at 122. And I'm like, holy moly, you don't even have a building block to make any yeah. of these hormones. So it's great that you brought that up just to educate because I mean, I think in general, men eat more than women, unless you're me. I eat a lot. I will, mm -hmm. I will down you in a eating competition. Um, but stress is a huge implicator to that. And speaking of that, yeah. if you have really high cortisol, something that I also see a lot of is that you will have higher levels of binding globulins in your blood because your body is so smart that if there is an excess of hormones, it's going to try to bind it because only free hormones are working, which you brought up about free testosterone. So do you find in your practice that you'll have 
a subset of patients that have normal testosterone, say like 700, 800, 900, but they have no free testosterone. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. You see that as well. The the total testosterone is kind of meaningless, right? Yeah. Um, and and the issue with total testosterone is such a broad reference range, right? If you look at the typical labs, it's like from 200 to 1,000. That's mm -hmm. such a broad reference range. Mm -hmm. I have patients that'll feel good at 500. I have patients that feel good at 800, 900. Right, so it really varies. And like you said, if sex hormone binding globulin is elevated, it's gonna bind up that testosterone, leave less testosterone that's bioavailable that the body could utilize. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very common. And stress could increase it. Um, a low fat diet can increase it. Um, you know, nutrient deficiencies could increase it. There's other factors mm -hmm. that cause it to go up. And so very important for us to always look at the free testosterone and then not only treat the number of the lab it's mostly how the person feels mm -hmm. i think that's more important than treating a number absolutely because i mean labs are just a snapshot in time exactly. right especially Ch with hormones yes changing moment to moment and men they cycle with the sun so what if someone you know tests their testosterone at night because they didn't know it's going to be significantly different than if they tested it right in the oh morning yeah i don't wake test up. any of my testosterone patients past 10 a.m i think yeah. it's incorrect data it is. I yeah. agree. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just curious. I don't know if you know the answer to this or if I have to do like a little PubMed search, but I'm wondering, do you think that BPA and xenoestrogens increase sex hormone binding globulin? I'd have to look deeper into that. I'm yeah. not too sure. I feel like well, they I could. I wouldn't be surprised if they do. I wouldn't be either. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what are some of your favorite ways to get some of these toxins out of individuals' bodies? Because we talked about, obviously, the first step is avoidance, right? Right. Yes. Right. So it's, there's two parts, right? Mm -hmm. First and foremost, when it comes to toxins, I always look at the patient's total toxic load, right? And so that's a combination of what's coming in and um, what's already in the body. Mm -hmm. So there's two parts to addressing toxicity in a patient. First of all, we want to minimize exposure. Like you said, what's coming in, we want to minimize them, whether it's air pollution, food, creams, lotions, alcohol, marijuana. We want to keep that to a minimum. And then there's optimizing the body's uh, detoxification functions, right? So when it comes to that, the first thing I always think about is the patient having regular bowel movements, mm -hmm. right? Because through the bowels, that's where we're removing a lot of our um, toxins. Mm -hmm. And so if they're not, uh, I work on that. Let's get the bowels moving. Let's open up the emunctories, as we call it, in naturopathic medicine. And then the bowels, the sweat glands under the armpits, those are very, very important, that we, important ways we detoxify. So, you know, that's why I don't like seeing, um, you know, my patients use antiperspirant, especially when they go to the gym. They're putting on this antiperspirant, going to the gym. It's like, you're blocking off one of your main emunctories. You know, we want to be kind of sweating. So scrap the antiperspirant. Let's use a deodorant and, you know, that's cleaner so we can make sure that those emunctories are open. So, you know, that elimination pathway is really important. Sweating, pooping, urinating through urine. We remove some toxins, so making sure we're hydrating. And then when it comes to further detoxifying, I think supporting the health of the liver is very, very important. We know that liver detoxification, there's phase one and phase two, and there's key nutrients and ingredients that are involved in phase two and phase one liver detoxification. So making sure the patient's getting enough protein because protein's important for detoxification, making sure they're getting enough, um, you know, precursors for glutathione, things like selenium, um, and then the B vitamins, and then the cruciferous vegetables like the broccoli, cauliflower, you know, asparagus, all of those nutrients could really help detoxify the, um, help with supporting liver detoxification. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said. I think 
it is important for people to also be aware that the liver is how you are recycling your hormones because hormones are, you know, a lot of them are fat soluble. So then they get bound up in bile and you poop them out. And if you're not pooping regularly, they will be reabsorbed in your colon. You will enter them back into circulation and that feedback to the brain can occur in which now your body is confused. Do I make more hormones or are there some there? And that is something that I see all the time where so many people are constipated and think it's normal. And in case you are not subscribed to this channel, you need to because I talk all about shit all the time. And you need to be pooping at least once a day. I would say two to three times would be ideal. You want your poops to be happy and normal because if not, that tells you about your gut and it tells you about your inflammation. And other things that you mentioned there is sweating. And I work a lot with people that, yes, they love antiperspirants. And fun fact there, which you are aware of, I don't know if you're aware of, they're loaded with heavy metals, loaded with aluminum. You put it right on your armpits. There's so many blood vessels there. Your lymphatic vessels are there. It just goes right into systemic circulation. Aluminum in the brain is one of the main causes of Alzheimer's and dementia. We don't want aluminum. And if you have aluminum foil, I would just straight up throw it out and never touch it again. And I work with a lot of people that are like, yeah, I don't sweat. It's so fun. I can like work out and I don't sweat. And I look at them and I go, okay, well, we got to get you to sweat. Where's the toxins going? Yeah. Yeah. It's not coming out. Where's it going? (laughs) Yeah. And have you ever been around someone that was so constipated for so long that they smell? Can't say I have. I have. It's not good. You will literally start to smell like shit. You must poop. You must flush all of the amunctories. And then, you know, if you're trying to flush your your lymphatic system and your blood with dirty water, what is that doing? And to circle back all the way around to the EWG resource that you're speaking to, that is something that I love sharing with my patients because I think a lot of the time people think that I'm dramatic. This is fucking clear. That's and it. and I think that people are thinking I'm being dramatic, but yeah. I'm not. I say type in your zip code. Just type it in. Yeah. See what it says. San Diego has some of the worst water that I've seen in this country. I drove across country back home to New York and I would always check to see what's in the water. Not only for me, but for my dogs. I don't give my dogs anything that I wouldn't eat. Yeah, Truly. And I know you you know dog lovers. So San Diego is some of the worst water that I have come across. But I think my favorite part of that is what you were saying, that it shows you what level of filtration you would need to have clean water. Because the Brita water filter is carbon. And carbon is a charged molecule that can pull out some electrically charged contaminants from the water but so many things don't have that ability and you would need a much higher level of filtration here in san diego we need reverse osmosis we need it um but then that strips all the minerals out so then if you're not remineralizing then you could lead to deficiencies and going to the phase one phase two detox i invite everyone listening to just google what that looks like because there is so many nutrients that go into that oh yeah and if you're deficient in one that whole pathway will get backed up and things won't be cleared worse Mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely mm-hmm. and what you said about the water filter is actually i feel like a lot of the newer reverse osmosis they've added a last stage mm-hmm. that remineralizes now because they felt like you know adding the minerals a lot of people weren't doing that but that's a really important point that you mentioned mm-hmm. it does strip everything away and you need to add them in or else it won't enter the cell and you can't get hydrated properly yeah and it's truly about what gets into the cell so even speaking of the hormones as we were how we started this whole conversation you could have a normal amount of hormones but if your cells are so inflamed that that hormone can't bind to its receptor because your cells are lined in fat and the cells need to be very fluid so that the receptor can be seen. And if that 
if that membrane becomes stagnant or sticky or stuck because you're not eating enough fat or because you're so inflamed, then that hormone can't bind. And your lab tests might say like, hey, yeah, everything's normal. Everything's normal. And how many times have you had a patient that's like, yep, my labs are perfect. But then you take that deeper layer off into toxicity. And that's where the issue is. Totally. Absolutely. I agree with you. Yeah. I think that everyone on this planet could do with some detoxing at I this think stage on this planet could do with having a naturopathic doctor uh yes yeah. absolutely to toot our own horns but i think so toot it up <laughs> i'm a big fan of boosting us up i think we're amazing i mean i think you're the shit which is why you're here oh, thank you you're so kind yeah. feelings being true <laughs> uh, thank you thank you so much so what other hormone imbalances do you see a lot of in your practice well, you, I think we hit the main ones, right? Cortisol, testosterone, um, even DHEA, you know, that can go low, which is the the youth hormone, I like mm-hmm. to call it, or a precursor for a lot of the other sex hormones. And then in women, you know, estrogen, progesterone, obviously you see that a lot. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Do you supplement with DHEA? Yeah, I'll supplement mm-hmm. with DHEA sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. But only after I test and their DHEA is low and they just need a little bit of a boost, I might give them a little because DHEA is like the precursor for the hormones, right? I might sprinkle a little bit of DHEA and see what the body does with it and if they, you know, shunt down the right pathway and if they feel better. So I might use DHEA sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said that because in my practice, like I was saying, I don't prescribe a lot of testosterone. I also don't work a lot with male clients and I work a lot with people that it is quite clear to me why they are not making testosterone. So I like to work on that. But in some, DHEA is low and DHEA is the adrenal androgen and both men and women have androgens, which are male sex hormones. And I put that in quotation marks because they're not just assigned to one gender. But if DHEA is low, that can tell me a couple things. It could tell me that your adrenals are just in survival mode. And when they're in survival mode, they're going to favor making cortisol to keep your inflammation down, to keep you nice and happy and sane. But then if your DHEA is low as a result of that, of course, all of your androgens will be low. So for me, sometimes like a little boost of DHEA, see what happens. I've seen this be incredible for inflammation, for cognitive health, for muscle mass in my ladies. Um, but I just wanted to touch on that because I don't think a lot of individuals consider that that's a little slipping. I'm a big fan. Again, it goes back to the adrenals, right? I think mm-hmm. the adrenals are really, really important when it comes to optimizing hormones, not just in males, but in females as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that goes back to stress, right? If your body is in a state of stress, it is going to assume that you should not A, be having sex and B, be making a baby because yes, sex is fun, but evolutionarily sex was there so that we could reproduce. And if there is any sign internally or externally that it is not safe, your body will respond because of that. And I think that there's a certain level of respect that we have to have for the body if it is going down that pathway. And instead of being like some of my patients that just come and demand testosterone, I say, how about we work on your stress? How about we we have you quit the job that you actually hate how about we get you divorced you know <laughs> just but it, kidding but you know, these those things are matter options, but sometimes yeah. that's not an option for some people but yeah. there's ways that you could you know build in some stress resilient strategies into their life oh, that'll make them more resilient to stress because like the analogy that i like to break is you know we're all going to face stressful situations right but we want to increase our resilience to stress so that when we're when life throws us a curveball, we bend and we don't break, mm-hmm. right? So we want to increase our resilience so that we're, we're bending, we don't breaking. And so, you know, spending time in nature, spending time with your loved ones, getting a, a, a fur baby, you know, getting yes. a dog or a cat, um, 
all of those things, things that make you laugh, things that make you feel good, good quality sleep, taking a bath, taking care of yourself, all of those things help increase our resilience to stress. Yes. So while, you know, getting a new job might not be an option for everyone, I think we have we all could do these things. There's mm -hmm. no reason we can't take 10 minutes to do some a light meditation. You know, there's a lot of great apps nowadays we could use. Um, so there's no reason not take a 10 minute walk at, you know, after dinner. You know, these things can simply increase our resilience to stress, which is really, really important. And, you know, a lot of things, a lot of times what we, we, we fail to notice is that stress can make us overweight mm -hmm. right so as stress hormone goes up we start putting on weight in our midline mm -hmm. right so that's a problem because we know that abdominal visceral fat is like an organ it produces aromatase it actually supports the conversion of testosterone into estrogen which is something we don't want to happen so we got to understand that body fat is is an active hormone producer in a way and stress is a contributor to that and this kind of takes me to one thing that I was looking up, how um, the research shows that children and teenagers that are overweight or obese are significantly increased likelihood of being infertile with mm -hmm. adults, mm -hmm. right? So um, obesity in, in the teenage years sets us up for reproductive issues later. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and we know obesity is a big problem in North America. And so, um, and nowadays you're seeing it's sad because I went to a public pool not too long ago and I see 12, 13 year old boys walking around with, with man boobs, mm -hmm. with gynecomastia, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and that's sad because the, a, a child shouldn't have that at that age, right? And that makes me think, you know, what, what, what hormones are they being exposed to through their foods? What toxins are they being exposed to through foods? You know, and then nowadays, things that you and I didn't experience when we were kids is electronic devices. When I was eight years old, I didn't play on a tablet. Yeah, we might have played N64 or PlayStation for a bit. But beyond that, when we were at the table, we weren't on a device. We didn't have a device on our lap at all times. Nowadays, I see parents giving these, you know, laptops and, and well, tablets to their kids and the kids holding it right on their stomach in their reproductive area for hours, right? Yeah. So not only are they getting blasted with this blue light, which is throwing off their circadian rhythms, affecting hormone production, but they're also got this device near their genitals that's pumping out radiation, right? Mm -hmm. And so we didn't have these problems 20 years ago when we were kids. And so um, it, it's an issue that is very common, but not a lot of people pay attention to. And so when we talk about toxins, those electronic devices are toxins as well, in my opinion, because of the radiation and the blue light exposure that, you know, children suffer from as a result. Yeah. That whole statement that you just said was gold from the last time I started talking until now. I am so happy that you brought up the adiposity and how adipose, which are fat cells, how they are little endocrine organs in that they will upregulate aromatase. And yeah. there are certain drugs that people take to downregulate that enzyme, which... Okay, you know, there's so many different windows into the body. And yes, of course, that would increase your testosterone because it's not being converted. But how about we just get our patients to lose weight? Exactly. How about we work on blood sugar? Blood sugar is such an inflammatory trigger. Blood sugar influences your insulin, so many other hormones that will then impact your reproductive organs and your reproductive exactly. hormones. So if we are not caring about what we put in our mouth, everything else will suffer. And I think we're the most obese country in the world. Yeah. We must be. We must be. Even we though we're like the most advanced. Sure. Like, yeah, really? I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. And it comes back to this idea of having the courage to 
integrate this information and then to make choices that are in favor of health because we have the power to completely not only change our health but our children's health and then as a result our grandchildren's health our entire family lineage because yeah. it really does start with us and what we teach our children to do and Absolutely. and there is so much self-hate and body image issues and if only we empowered individuals that if you eat well move your body in a way that you love have fun reduce stress you're gonna look good and you're gonna feel good it doesn't have to be something that seems so foreign or so challenging it just does take conscious effort yeah well unfortunately you know these are all things as a society we've kind of strayed away from yeah you know 50 60 years ago we were doing these things a lot more but now now we're just totally strayed away from a lot of these things and now we've become creatures of habit constantly on our phone and and then i see so many people nowadays especially here in san diego with with these vape pens that look like adults with pacifiers walking around it's just constantly you know, people smoking these things like it's a pacifier and they don't understand the effect that it can have long term on their health, especially the reproductive mm -hmm. um, organs, because, you know, there's a lot of toxins in those vape pens that could be very, very detrimental. And we don't even know the long term effects of those yet because they're so new. So I yeah. think we're really, truly going to understand the magnitude of the effect that they've had, not only on the reproductive health of the population, but the health of the population as a whole in 10, 15 years, you yeah. know, because it's so new. And so it's another thing we need to be concerned about. Like I see my guy friends, phone, vape pen. It's like, whoa, you know, it's so much overload to the brain. Uh, you know what I mean? And so we just got to be aware of these things yeah. and just remind people that, hey, you know, this could have an effect. I'm just giggling at myself because of the deep hate that I have for vape pens. I hate them so much. And I think I'm hot. I do. So any man that is watching this, if you want a hot girl to like you, know that there's nothing more unattractive than you puffing a vape pen, blowing it out like you're some kind of dragon that smells like tutti frutti. It's terrible. So tell me, what have you learned about these vape pens? Do you know much about them? How are they impacting your health? Because I could assume what they're doing toxin-wise. When you inhale anything, your lungs have a little unicellular barrier just like every other barrier system in your body, like your brain or your gut. So it's very easy for these volatile compounds to just go directly into systemic circulation yeah. and go to your brain. But do you know any... Any well, fun facts there, about how gross they are? Yeah, there's an ingredient <laughs> called acrolein, I believe, in it that it was called. That's very, very damaging. It can mm -hmm. lead to any type of respiratory issues, allergies. And then the flavors are the issue as well. Ugh. I remember I did a write-up on this a while ago. I don't remember the fine details. But there's a lot of a lot of research coming out showing a link to something called popcorn lungs as yeah. well. Right? So something we just definitely need to be aware of, I think, is very important. Mm-hmm. And something that just came through that I feel it's important to bring up is that how are our patients utilizing these things? Are they utilizing it because it gives them a little dopamine hit because they are, are looking for more joy in their life? Is it giving them a moment to take a deep breath because they're not breathing deeply? Is it giving them a moment to pause? What is that giving this human and how can we replace that with something that's actually helping yeah versus harming yeah well it's interesting right because i think society kind of sets us up i remember mm -hmm. i was having a discussion with one of my friends who's a business owner and he was saying employees are allowed a smoke break but they're not allowed a break to go and just get air yeah so all these employees that aren't weren't smokers were becoming smokers to get a smoke break 
right so in, in a way society kind of encourages that as mm -hmm. well right yeah um but what's interesting that you said is that why are people resorting to these things that most of people know they're not good for them but mm -hmm. why are they puffing on it right because nicotine is what it's a stimulant mm -hmm. it's supposed to give you energy mm -hmm. so why is it that a lot of people that smoke these things they say oh i feel relaxed after i smoke it hmm. well maybe because for once in your throughout the day you're taking some deep breaths yeah Right, it's the deep breathing that you're doing for two, three minutes that's causing you to feel relaxed because nicotine's a stimulant. It mm -hmm. shouldn't make you feel relaxed. So why is that happening, right? So when you get to the underlying cause, is it a dopamine deficiency? Is it like a, a parasympathetic or a sympathetic overtone? You know, they're just stuck in sympathetic and this kind of pulls them out. They feel good. What it is, I think, as a naturopathic doctor, it's very important for us to get patient specific as to what's driving the train in this patient mm -hmm. and, and kind of contributing to this vicious cycle and, and addiction that the person is experiencing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we both are passionate about is movement and working out and using this incredible body to, you know, work for us. And, and I think that a lot of individuals don't recognize that exercise is one of the best ways to get energy. It's one of the best ways to get dopamine. It's one of the best ways for your brain to focus for, for the rest health. of the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think going through pandemic, exercise is what got me through. Yeah, really. me too. Yeah, Never been more fit than during the pandemic. Yeah, exercise and, and my dogs were like <gasps> so incredibly important, right? Because yes. it, it makes you feel dopamine, right? Mm -hmm. Just looking at your dog, is his eyes will lower your blood pressure will increase your dopamine, increase oxytocin, right? So why not look at, get a pet, look at its eyes instead of getting a pen and using it as a pacifier. I fucking love you. I meant to say <laughs> that in the beginning that your love for dogs and like the softness that you get in your eyes when you think about furry creatures is another reason why I love you. But yes, I say that to my patients all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, do you have a dog? Yeah. If not, said this on my podcast, go outside, pet a dog. There's a hot man walking the dog, pet the dog. It's going to make everything so much better. And you're getting that vitamin D. You're getting the sun on your skin. You're getting a tan. You're walking around. Especially here in California, I think it's great having a dog because there's so much. Dogs are like humans here. You go to the restaurant, there's a water bowl for the dog. It's There awesome. better be. Yeah. If I'm told better be that filtered. It, it better be filtered. <laughs> oh, I ask. I ask. Is your water filtered for my doggie? Because if not, I have some. Yeah. Ugh. The pets. And I think actually the other thing we need to touch on is is screen time and, and these devices and the blue light because I'm I'm starting to realize more and more how they're throwing off the circadian rhythms. Mm -hmm. You know, before I would wake up in the morning and right away pull out my phone. Mm -hmm. Whereas the brain, right when you wake up, is still in a relaxation, is still waking up, right? Mm -hmm. It's in that delta phase. So when you pull out that phone and throw in all the information on Facebook, social media, Instagram, whatever, all of that information is coming in at 100 miles an hour while the brain is in de deep delta relaxation mode. It's like overwhelming the brain. Mm -hmm. right? It's like starting a car engine on hasn't been warmed up and you're hitting the gas. Car's not ready to accelerated like that and either is our brain no it takes a few minutes in the morning when you wake up to let your brain come out of that deep delta relaxation mode so what i've tried to do now is just put my phone away when i wake up slowly let my brain wake up get some natural sunlight you know so right away i'll open my curtains grab my dog and we go down <laughs> for a walk right we go down for a walk so um a great way to you know set those biological rhythms because what we don't realize is that our bodies are based on a biological clock, our eating, 
our sleeping, our mood, our hormones, all of that is based on the circadian rhythm. So if every morning we're waking up, throwing that clock off, what's that? What's happening to our eating pattern? What's happening with our hormonal secretions? You know, all of that gets thrown off. Mm -hmm. So I think it just comes back to, again, you know, taking people back to the basics. 50 years ago, we didn't have these problems. Mm -mm. We didn't wake up and go on a phone. Mm -mm. So um, we just need to be aware of that and just try to make mindful decisions. So before bed now, no phone for me, um, no blue light exposure before bed when I wake up. No phone for me because I want my circadian rhythms to do their thing. And I've honestly been feeling like my energy is better. I don't need coffee as much, you know. So it's a very, very powerful practice when you kind of detox from your phone at the right times. Yes. And I wake up in the morning and I have like 50 messages from like patients and whatnot. But I know that in order for me to be my best, I just need to take 20 minutes to just let this machine wake up because I have such a demanding day ahead of me that... If I don't, I'm not going to be at my best for my patients. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people think, oh, is it selfish? Well, I don't know. You can argue. But I think it's important to take care of yourself first. It's just like when the oxygen mask falls in the airplane, you have to put it on yourself first. Yes. Right? Yes. And I think as healers, you know, and doctors, we show up for other people. Exactly. And we can only show up as good as we can show up for exactly. ourselves. So if you're not practicing these things and if you're not doing it for yourself you can't expect your patients to do it exactly and that you know when i was first investigating my journey into medicine i shadowed a lot of just conventional doctors and a lot of them were obese and overweight and very unhappy and it would blow my mind that they were telling patients to do certain things that they absolutely were not doing themselves so i that's something that i love about our community too mm. that we are really putting in the work we are doing it we recommend things that we have tried that we have noticed the benefits from and really if you haven't noticed listeners that the main thing that dr petty and i are recommending are to get a dog <laughs> if you do nothing else but get a dog your life is going to change for the better so yeah. just saying well, yeah well. <laughs> <laughs> so dr petty this has been an incredible conversation i am so happy all the organic directions that it took us and with all of my guests before we sign off i always like to give you the space and the opportunity to share with my listeners anything that you would like whether that is a truth bomb about something you're passionate about a knowledge bomb on something we talked about or didn't a love bomb for someone that you love or a dog that you love um anything at all the floor is yours Sure. I think it's very, very important if you're on this journey of health is to really visualize yourself in that state of health and well-being because that is so incredibly important. I tell my patients, share all of these amazing things about health and wellness, but I think the most important that brings it all together is your ability to visualize yourself in that healthy state because you know a lot of people think, oh, that's woo-woo. There's actual science behind it because when you visualize what happens is that you're shifting your reticular activating system. The RAS is a filter that we have on our brain. That's and this filter is based on our previous life experiences, what things people have told us and what we think about. Right? So if we could visualize ourselves in that state of well-being, it allows us to shift that filter, that reticular activating system so we're more likely to pick out things in our environment that are in line with our vision. So when you start visualizing yourself in that healthy state, things that are healthy will pop out. You're like, oh, that restaurant there looks like a good healthy option. Or instead of, you know, going on your phone, something that encourages you to get movement will pop out to your brain as well. So you're just getting more momentum and going that path. 
because that I feel like is the secret sauce and such an important piece that brings all the amazing knowledge that as naturopathic doctors we preach together because if there's if there's no motivation or no juice to like execute those things the plan is useless so we need to be in the right mindset and have the right framework in our mind to be able to pick out that right information from our environment to be able to get us you know towards our journey or our goal of being healthy wow mike drop dr petty <laughs> thank you you just me. touched on so many levels of my heart the fact that you said reticular activating system just warmed me internally <laughs> just being a neurology nerd and that is so true and i'm so grateful that you shared that because i think a lot of what we do could be considered woo woo right but as far as i'm concerned it's all science and it all works so it's whatever you believe in yeah well yeah. it's true because the particular activating system is there for a reason yes. right or else we our brain would overload think mm -hmm. about it when you go on facebook there's hundreds of pieces of information there if our brain was to get that all in, it would literally over, over, overwork and like melt apart. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> but um, what the reticular activating system does is allows us to pick out information selectively, and and it's important for us to understand that that the brain is very unique with the filters that are implemented in it. And so when we have control over fine tuning this filter, it could be used to our advantage. Beautiful and really, that's a lovely thing to close on. Just that we do have power through our choices, through our consciousness, through everything that we are deciding to do, we do have that power. And I love that you are empowering not only your community with your patients, but through social media, you're helping empower so many people. So if you don't already follow Dr. Petty, you need to. Can you just list all the ways that my humans can be one of yeah, your humans? So um, Instagram, uh, TikTok, and YouTube are the main platforms at Dr. Petty Natural Health. Try to upload a lot of useful videos there. So if any of this conversation interested you, please do follow there and shoot me a message if you have any questions. Fabulous. Well, I am so happy that you came on, not only for this conversation, but also that I allowed a penile on this podcast. I might allow more. We'll see. Um, but you have been such a delight. Thank you for sharing about your journey, your expertise, all that you've learned along the way. Keep on being your amazing self. And for all of you, definitely subscribe to this channel. Like this, share this with anyone and everyone that needs to learn about their hormones, environmental toxicity, and just anyone that needs a dog, definitely send them this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Mwah. Bye.